God, thank you so much for your presence in this place. Thank you so much for uh, just the life that you have breathed into this place. God, it's, it's energizing to see that many students and teachers up here with me, to be able to pray over them. God, just even thinking about the difference that they can make in their schools and their communities is uh, just so tremendous. God, we just pray over them again. How we pray for this morning. We pray that as we dive into your word this morning and we talk about uh, some familiar things again, God, we just pray that you would teach us something new. Would you shape us? Would you challenge us? Would you convict us, God? Would you just uh, be in here with us? Would the words that are coming out of my mouth not be my words, but would they be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are this morning uh, closing out part two of our More Than a Feeling series. Uh, We have spent, this will be week 16, two kind of eight-week portions of this series as we have talked through uh, what we believe, why we believe it, all that stuff that we, 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 if we believe in this book, we believe that this Bible is the Word of God, then we believe what we believe, uh, all the things that we, all these practices that we have built, all these things that we are believing are based on so much more than just a feeling. You know, we live in a, uh, what people are calling a post-truth world, where truth is relative. Everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their own version. And if it's not true for them and it's true for you, that's okay, because everybody has their own truth. But that's, that's, not, that's not the case with the Word of God. It's not the case with our beliefs. It's not the, faith, the case with, with our faith. Our faith is based on so much more than just a feeling, so much more than just opinion. And uh, so this series, we've been kind of unpacking what it looks like to have a faith that is based and practiced on more than just a feeling. And so today, we're closing out part two. Part one was about what we believe, why we believe it, what it's based on out of this book here. Part two has been all of the practices that we have as believers. If we believe what we say we believe, if all of this is true, then how then should we live? And so we've been talking through practices like prayer and worship and discipleship and evangelism and and community and even accountability, things like that. And tonight, today, this morning, (laughs) we are going uh, to dive into uh, actually two more practices, Uh, two more practices that are kind of all lumped into one category called the sacraments. We're going to be talking about the sacraments that have been given to us from the mouth of Jesus for us to practice as a church, for us to practice together. Now, what, what is a sacrament? Sacrament might be a familiar word. It might not be a familiar word. Sacrament is literally uh, a practice or activity that God has told us to do, that God has shown us how to do, and not just individually. There are all kinds of individual practices that we do. We've talked about some of them uh, even over the last seven weeks. A sacrament is something that we do as a body of believers. Specifically, in our Nazarene tradition, there are two sacraments. We believe in the sacrament of baptism and in the sacrament of communion. I want to unpack both of those this morning. I want to understand together what Scripture says about each of these sacraments. What does Scripture say about baptism? What does Scripture say about communion? What is, what are, what are, how are we supposed to practice this? All of this. What does Scripture say about these two sacraments that we should be in practice? If, if everything that we believe is true, 
then these sacraments are to be followed. These sacraments are to be practiced by every single believer, every single person who says and and claims that they follow Christ, these sacraments are for. So we are going to start this morning with the sacrament of baptism. So if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. Uh, It's right before a familiar passage that we talk about a lot here at Fresno First Church, Acts 2 chapter 42. We're actually going to start this morning in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Uh, and as you're turning there, if you, need a, if you want the pages in our pew Bibles, on page 937, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 36. And as you turn, just where are we in Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2 is really the beginning of the New Testament church. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus has gone into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come down. Uh, the gospel is being preached. People are being turned to Jesus Christ. And the, Peter begins to just share the gospel. Peter begins to really just kind of pull people in and say, look, this is what just happened. This is what is going on. This is what we believe. And he ends this kind of sermon with this phrase in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, there's a, there's a heading here, and there's kind of a break in our scripture, but that, the author of Acts didn't just put in a break there. This is a letter. So he just keeps going. So I want you to just, just hear this. Those who accepted his message and were baptized, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What did those people do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We've already seen baptism in this. Now, a lot of people believe that when they're talking about the breaking of bread, we're talking about coming to the Lord's table, taking communion, which is a regular practice of the early church. These early Christians, when they, when they submitted to the gospel, when they said, hey, Peter, I believe what you're preaching to me right now. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe that he was crucified. I believe that on the third day he rose from the dead. I believe in what I just saw. I believe that he went up to heaven. I believe the Holy Spirit came down on you and empowered you. I believe the message that you're preaching to me right now. I believe. First thing that Peter said, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. And then they devote themselves to each other. They devote themselves to the community, which we've talked about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, discipleship, which we've talked about, to the fellowship, community, and to the breaking of bread, which we're going to talk about, and to prayer. These are the things that these early Christians, after being baptized, were devoted to. They were devoted to, to these things from the very beginning. These two sacraments, these practices, 
are essential to believers. And so I just want to, just this is just from the very beginning, this is day one of the early church. And already the people who are in this early church are being baptized and they're committing themselves to the Lord's Supper. They're committing themselves to, to, the, to the communion table. Now, this is day one. We're in day who knows what. It's math, I know, but I don't know. We should be committed to the same things. Now, we have talked about three of these four things that these were devoted to. The apostles' teaching, we've talked about discipleship. We've talked about community, devoting themselves to the fellowship. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about all those in the last seven weeks. We have not talked about the Lord's Supper. We have not talked about baptism. I want to unpack both of these this morning because I believe that these are both super important practices for us as believers. So, what is baptism? What is baptism? I'll give you just a quick one sentence uh, definition of what baptism is. You ready for this? Baptism is a public demonstration of our initial identification with Christ in the church. I'm going to say that again. Baptism is a public demonstration of our initial identification with Christ and the church. Every single word of that is important. Baptism is a public declaration. It is not something that you can just go out in the backyard pool and do by yourself. You don't just, I baptize myself in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and just kind of dip your head and come back up. And are good. That's, not, that's not baptism. Baptism is a public declaration meant to take place here in the church or with other believers. It doesn't have to take in a church building. We can go to a river. I mean, that's where Jesus did it, right? We can go wherever we want. As long as there is a body of believers there to bear witness to this statement that, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. You can be baptized. It's a public declaration of an initial identification. An initial identification. Say, look, God is my God. I trust in Jesus. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I choose to follow Him. It's declaring to other believers and to everyone around, God is my God. But it's this initial decision of I choose Christ. And it's a, it's a kind of a, it embodies our identification with Christ and with the church. This is what baptism is all about. Every, every word of that matters. So some questions, right? Why should I be baptized? Here's just a few reasons why you should be baptized. First of all, being baptized is literally following the example of Jesus Christ. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, if you're in our pew Bibles, 829, Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is uh, coming onto the scene. This is really the first time that we see Jesus or hear words from Jesus. We've seen John the Baptist in, in chapter 2 here, kind of preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the way of the Lord, calling people to repent and to be baptized, hence his name, John the Baptist. Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes on the scene, and, and Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, even before he even starts his ministry, before he picks his disciples, before he's tempted in the desert, before any of this, Jesus comes to see John at the river. John chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? 
Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When we are baptized, we do so based on the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus, before he started his ministry, knew what he was here for, knew the purpose of being there, and he decided to be baptized. Now, it's clear in chapter 2 and early chapter 3 that being baptized is really talking about repentance. It's talking about a forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus, we've talked about this in the series before, Jesus didn't, didn't have any sin. There was no reason for Jesus to repent. There was no reason for Jesus uh, to necessarily be forgiven. Right? Jesus didn't need forgiveness. Jesus said Jesus was a perfect human being. He came to earth, lived a life we couldn't live to die the death that we deserve to die so that we might live eternally with him forever. This is Jesus. Jesus didn't need forgiveness. But Jesus comes as an example of righteousness and he goes into the water with John and he's baptized. Now, he does this as an example for us and he's identifying with with all the people who in the future will repent and be baptized. Repent and identify with him. We are baptized as an ex- because of the example of Jesus Christ. Why else are we baptized? We're, not only is it just to follow the example of Christ, but it's to obey the command of Christ. I mean, the ministry of Jesus starts right here in, in Matthew chapter 3, at least in the book of Matthew. It starts right here in chapter 3. His ministry in Matthew ends in, in chapter 28. If you want to just flip there with me. In Matthew chapter 28, the very last words of Matthew we know as the Great Commission. Here's what he says. Therefore, well, we'll start at verse 18. It's right before that. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus' command here is pretty clear. Go, therefore, make disciples. What's the very first thing we do as we make disciples? We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very first thing. Are you catching the theme here? Very first thing that Peter says to do. What Peter preaches to them, preaches the gospel to them. Hey, this Jesus who you crucified is Messiah and he's Lord. Brother, what should we do? You need to be baptized. So Jesus sends out his disciples, and he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us as well, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now here's a question. How can we encourage people to be baptized if we have not been baptized? How can we say baptism is the very first step of faith and not do it. Now, let me be really clear here. Baptism has no bearing on your salvation. It doesn't mean that you are saved because you've been baptized. It's not a requirement for salvation. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, as long as you're baptized, you can come. No. 
But baptize, baptism is a sign of obedience to say, I believe, I've given my life to him, and I want to be baptized. The very first step. This is what Jesus says. This is what Peter says. Baptism is an obedience issue. Jesus calls us to do it. Now, why? Why would Jesus call us to do that? Why, why is it important for us to be baptized? Because in baptism, we, are, we unite with the body of Christ. We become one with the body of Christ. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to just go there real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. She's good. You're good. You stay. Uh, Page 1008. Uh, If you're in our pew Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Here's... This honestly is is just, I think, one of the most powerful passages here. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. There is... One body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Now think about how baptism, what baptism is included with in this list. There is one faith. There is uh, one Lord, one God, one Father of all. Who is over all and through all. And in all. One baptism. Baptism unites believers. We are united in our baptism. There's one baptism. It's part of our identification, not just with Christ, but it's part of our identification with the church. It's important for us to be baptized. It's part of our identification with the church. It, 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 it speaks to the unity of the church when we are baptized, that we are part of one body, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one Lord of all, one, you get the sense? There's a unity here that baptism is a part of. This is why we are to be baptized. I'll keep going. Why should I be baptized? Well, we should be baptized because baptism is celebrating the grace of Christ. We, we are baptized to celebrate the grace of Christ and to illustrate, really, the gospel. There is no better picture of the gospel than baptism. Now, even Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans, it's a, a little bit uh, back from, Roman, from Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 6. It's on page 970 in the Pew Bibles if you want to go there. Verse 3 and 4, Paul begins to talk about baptism. He begins to talk about why baptism is important, what it means. What does baptism even mean? He's talking about being dead to sin and alive to Christ. I'll just start at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Or don't you know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you're curious what baptism is all about, look no further than these two or three verses in Romans chapter 6. In our, or close to our kitchen at home, we have these shelves. And on this shelf is a picture of our wedding day. 
me and Rachel, all gussied up. Now this picture is a representation of what happened on that day. You look at that picture, and it's easy to think about the vows that we said. It's easy to think about the chapel that we were in when we gave our hearts to each other. It's easy to think about our friends and our family who were there on that day to witness the union that God had put together right there in that chapel. It's a picture of something that happened on that day. Baptism is a picture of something that happened over 2,000 years ago. See, when we, Paul says, when we go under the water, it is a representation of Jesus' death. It's a representation of Jesus' death for our sins. We are identifying with Jesus' death for our sins that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we are no longer captives to sin. When we go underwater, we are identifying with the death of Christ. But the good news is, is we don't stay down very long for a variety of reasons, but because Jesus didn't stay down very long. In three days, Jesus came up from the dead. And as we rise up out of the water, we are identifying with the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That death is defeated, that sin is defeated, that we no longer have to live the life that we lived because we are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. This is what we are identifying with when we come up out of the water. Jesus didn't stay in the grave long. We don't need to stay in the water very long. We identify with the death of Jesus. We identify with the resurrection of Jesus. And we are committing to a life committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what baptism is all about. This is the sacrament of baptism that the early church was committed to. That Jesus sent his disciples out to do. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. Truly I am with you. This is what Jesus is saying. You need to go out. We need to be baptizing people. This is baptism. This is a Reader's Digest version of baptism. But this is baptism. there's, There's a reason that in the book of Acts and in the early church, pretty much without exception, if you came to faith in Jesus you were baptized. Because from the disciples' experience, from the disciples' command from Jesus, from Peter's command of the gospel, brothers, what must we do? You need to repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So important. Now, I already said it. Baptism has no bearing on your salvation. You can be saved and not baptized. But it's a good thing to do. It's something we're commanded to do. It's something that Jesus calls us to do, to be baptized. So if you're a Christian in this place and you have not yet been baptized, let's talk about that. Let's talk about being baptized. Let's talk about what it looks like for you to be baptized. I would love to do it. I would love for you to stand in the pool with me and to share your testimony and to be able to say, this is who God is in my life. I choose to follow him. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my God. I'm all in. I would love that. So if you have not been baptized and you would like to, please talk to me. So baptism 
is a public declaration of our initial identification with Jesus Christ in the church. If that is true, then what is what's communion? Why is communion so important? Communion, really, is a celebration of our continual identification with Jesus Christ and the church. Let's put it this way. Let's go back to, to that wedding illustration. Baptism is like the wedding day. We are declaring before God and before everybody, I love my spouse. I give my life to her. I give my heart to her or him if you're a female. I declare today that I am, I belong to this person and he or she belongs to me. There's that moment of declaration there. Communion is sort of like anniversary celebrations that happen more often than yearly, theoretically. That every time we come to the table, we begin to remember and reflect on what happened that day. And not necessarily the day of our baptism, but the day that we illustrate in baptism. The day that Jesus humbled himself, died on a cross for our sins. The day that Jesus rose from the grave, defeated sin, defeated death once and for all, so that we might live eternally with him forever. See, communion is this, this continual kind of celebration of our continual identification with Christ. It's not just a, an initial decision that we make and we declare in baptism. Coming to the communion table, taking part in communion, is kind of a, it's a continual celebration of, look, this is, I, I want to remember and reflect on what Jesus has done in my life. This is why we come to the table. We celebrate and we reflect, we celebrate, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's a passage in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to go there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It's a familiar passage read most of the time when, when we take part in communion. There's, I want to read further than what we normally read, though. I want to read uh, from verse 23, and we'll keep going through uh, verse 32. Here's what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. We read that first paragraph often when we take communion. We don't necessarily read the second one so much. 
But I think what that second one gets across pretty clearly is this is a big deal. When we come to the table and we take part in communion, this is not a small thing that we do. It's not a trivial thing that we do. It's a very serious thing that we do. So just some questions on communion. Who should take communion? I mean, this passage is really clear. Believers in Jesus Christ should take communion. And no one else. Now, in our church, we don't, we don't ask that you be a member to take communion. All we ask is that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you have given your life to him, that you claim him as your Lord and Savior. If that's the case, you are more than welcome to come to the table, more than welcome to take part in communion. Because Scripture is pretty clear. Communion is for believers. But why? Why do we, why do we take communion? First of all, I mean, we remember. We take communion, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross. We remember the, the body of Jesus. We remember him being humbled to death on a, Christ, on a cross. We remember the price that he paid for our sin. We, we direct our minds on the cross. And not just, we're not just imagining something that we think this is, we're taking our minds back 2,000 so years to a moment in time when Jesus was alive and went to a cross, died a horrific death for us. And we're called to remember this. This is, this is in this passage, do this in remembrance of me. We forget often. We, we fail to remember a lot. But I think this is, not, this is no kind of new thing for God. Even in, De- in the book of Deuteronomy, when, when Jesus is, or when God gives this command. There's the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's this Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Jesus even quotes in the New Testament. Immediately following that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God begins to speak to his people and he says this, when you go into this land that you do not earn, when there is food on your table, that you did not plant. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord your God. But we have a tendency to forget. You can go back even further than that. The people of God have a tendency to forget all that God does for them. I mean, just think about this. In the book of Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter 13, they have come across the river, and it takes two and a half months. Two and a half months after the people of God come across the Jordan River on dry land. They're grumbling, and they're saying, God, what are you doing here? Like, can't we just go back to Egypt? At least in Egypt, we had food. And it's like, God just says, like, are you, did you forget what just happened? Did you forget what I'm doing for you? Did you forget who I am? So he begins to just rain down manna on these people. Just, just remember, hey, look, I'm in control. I'm in control. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. When you go into this land that you did not earn, that I just gave you, when you go into this land and there is food on your table that you did not plant, when you go into this land, do not forget me. But we have a tendency to forget. I don't think it's any coincidence that these words that we say every single time we take communion is do this in remembrance of me. We take time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The reason that we can be in this room right now and say the words that we sing, to sing the words we sing, to open up this word, to talk about baptism, illustrating the gospel, to talk about even what communion is about. The whole reason for this is because 2,000 some odd years ago, Jesus died on a cross for you and for me. And in communion, we remember that. We remember that. Not only do we remember the sacrifice, we reflect as communion comes. We reflect on, on our sin. We reflect on the forgiveness that we have been given through the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and I think, like I said, if there's anything that we get from, from verse 27 on, it's don't take this lightly. This is not just a, a small thing that we do. We, re, we come to remember the sacrifice. But in remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, we need to reflect on why he had to go in the first place. It's because of our sin. And we reflect on, on the forgiveness and the grace that we have been offered. And as we remember and as we reflect, we renew our commitment to go out and live the mission that Jesus has called us to live. Communion is not just a, an inward-focused thing. I mean, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and we we reflect on our own sin. But in communion, we are kind of renewing our commitment to go out and to live empowered by the Spirit. To go out and to live the life that God has called us to live. We're renewing this commitment. We're, we're committing to each other. We're committing to the mission that Christ has given us. This is what it's all about. So this morning, we're not going to practice baptism. <laughs> if you'd like to be baptized, let's talk about practicing that. But we do have an opportunity to practice communion. And so I'm going to ask my ushers to come back up. And in a second, I'm going to begin to pray. And as I pray, I want you to remember and I want you to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, on the forgiveness that you've been offered. Would you just spend some time in quiet prayer as the elements are passed out?
Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he broke it, he said, give thanks and do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Take the cup. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your sacrifice. So grateful for the blood shed on the cross. Thankful for the third day where you rose, defeated sin, defeated death, so that we might live with you eternally. God, this week as we go forward, would we just continue to remember and reflect? And as we leave, would we renew our commitment to live for you? May we not take this moment in service lightly, but may we take it with us. May we go forward empowered by your spirit, empowered to live for you. God, this week, would you go ahead of us? Would you be in our workplaces, be in our homes? God, wherever we may find ourselves, may you be there. May you help us make a difference for you, wherever that may be. May we be bold and courageous this week, remembering and reflecting on the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing from the Lord this morning. And may our God of grace and love remind you this week. May he whisper in your ear the love that he has for you and for those around you this week. And may you go forward empowered by the Spirit. Make a difference for him. Go courageously. Go boldly. Go in the peace and the grace of our Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace this morning.